Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Would you join with me as we read our scripture lesson today? It begins uh, the first part of Peter's first letter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Let us now hear the word of the Lord. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the end times. In this you greatly rejoice, and though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined by fire, be proved genuine and be result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation for your souls. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, we gather this morning to worship and to praise you. And in doing so, O Lord, we are reminded that we are your blessed people, your blessed children, and that you are our God. So during this time of worship, let our hearts be filled with your words, but transformed so that we would not just be hearers of your words, but doers of your words. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So it's a Sunday after Easter and in many churches, in many normal years, we clergy refer to this as low Sunday. Low because the attendance drops way off and whereas the week before the sanctuary was filled to the rafters and it was standing room only, there are a lot of extra spaces. But this is a different low Sunday. It doesn't look really any different in here than it does the last four weeks. But we know how important worship is because we are gathered around screens in our homes with our families, worshiping together because worship fills our hearts with the joy of the resurrection. The text for many Sundays after Easter is a story of Doubting Thomas that is familiar to many of us. But I sometimes think about that text because it is so often preached, what it would be like if it was a reality TV show. Like imagine, if you will, that the, the camera pans into a room and the disciples are gathered there. They've got the doors locked. They are huddled in away from the world, separating themselves from the rest of the world oddly kind of like we are today, right? 
But they're in there and then Thomas says, boast boldly, I'm not believing in the resurrection until I see Jesus and I can put my fingers in the wounds of his hand. And the disciples maybe look around at each other like, did he just say that? And then sure enough, Jesus appears in the room and he says, Thomas, come see my hands, feel where the nails were. And Thomas, just overwhelmed with emotion, comes forward and he does just that. He touches Jesus' hands and he says, Lord and Savior, I believe. And Jesus looks him right back in the eye and he says, you believe because you have seen. And then he turns to the camera and he looks at us and he says, blessed are you who believe who have not seen. When Peter writes his letter to the church in Asia Minor, it's the early church. It is the second generation of Christians. They have grown up in the faith. They have been taught it by the apostles and the disciples, but they never walked with Jesus. They never saw Jesus and they are practicing a new religion, a new faith in the world around them in Asia Minor. And so they are a minority. They are a persecuted lot. They are feared because of this new faith that they have found. So when they gather for worship at the end of the service, much like in the same way that we hug each other and we shake hands with each other in a pre-COVID-19 world and hopefully we'll get beyond this, but they would do that not so much because they enjoyed seeing each other, but they were afraid. They were afraid that next week when they came back to worship, that some of the folks that they had worshiped with the week before might have been arrested, imprisoned, or worse yet, deported because they were followers of this man who was raised from the dead. And though they were model citizens, though they went to work every day, though they paid their taxes, though they did all the right things because they believed in something so unreal, because they had faith in this one raised from the dead who was a son of God, they were persecuted. So they wondered to themselves in the church, they began to ask, should we continue to swim against the tide or should we go underground? Should we disband and just worship huddled by ourselves in our homes. So Peter writes to them to lift their spirits. Peter writes to them to encourage them. He says, your faith is what carries you through these dark days. It's your faith that gives hope. It's your faith that reminds you of the love and the unseen Christ. It is your faith that brings joy in salvation. Today, faith is what fills our hearts. Today, it is our faith that inspires the world. It is our faith that shows evidence of a God that is seen around us. It is our faith that gives evidence of the unseen things of God. It is our faith that is active and evident in the life and ministry of the church. I mean, we are a visual people, so this idea of faith in the things that, are in, that can be seen is not uncommon to us. I mean, to some degree, we want to see, to really believe. We've got to, to measure with our own eyes. If you think about an infant, as they start to learn object permanence, you can hold a sheet up 
in front of your face and hide your face from the infant and they panic because they think you've disappeared. And then you drop the sheet and you magically reappear. And then you disappear and reappear. Seeing is believing to them. Or maybe it's as we teach math to early elementary children. We take, you know, we use examples of apples. I have one apple and I add another. We have two apples. They can count them. They can understand that. Or maybe we have two apples and we take one away. Now we have one. Just visually teaching addition and subtraction. Or maybe it's like a children's sermon that we might have seen in a church somewhere where we take a plate and we squeeze toothpaste out of the tube all over the plate and the kids get all excited and then you tell the kids, put it back in the tube. And they look at you like you've lost your mind. And then we tell them that's how it is with our words. What comes out of our mouths, as much as we want to take them back, sometimes we just can't do it. We can't put the words like the toothpaste back into the tube, take them away. This idea of being visual learners and needing to, needing to see, to believe, is why the church has always invested in the arts. Think about our stations of the cross that we did, that we used on Good Friday. That ancient tradition of reading those 14 stations of Jesus' journey from Gethsemane to Golgotha to the tomb we know the words and we can envision maybe in our mind's eye what it looks like. But boy, when the church spent money to ask artists to paint their interpretations, as we read those words and looked at the pictures, it really nailed the story home, didn't it? Seeing is believing. I think about that in our day and time these days. I don't know about you, but because of the pandemic, because we're working from home, I spend a lot more time on screens, whether I'm doing email or writing sermons or whether we're doing Zoom meetings. And so by the end of the day, I have screen eye. You know, screen eye for the big guy. I mean, I just can't see. And so I go out on the back deck and I just sit there in the afternoon watching the sunset and watching the birds in the feeder. And as I watch the birds, I begin to see the ways that God has intricately created them. The differences in their feathers and in the colors and the ways that they are different shaped and their beaks, some were suited for sunflowers and some for other seeds. And so just to watch this and I get caught up in it because it's in that moment in time that I realize how beautifully they're created and how they have no worry about the pandemic. What about us? Have we ever really thought to us that God has intricately created us just as he created the birds? Are we not beautifully equipped for the ministry that God calls us to do? Blessed are we that see and believe. But just as we like to see, sometimes faith is evident in the things that are unseen. Peter's letter challenges them, challenges that church in Asia Minor to hold fast to their faith, even though they have not seen the risen Christ. They believe in their whole hearts that he was raised from the dead, that on that Easter Sunday that the tomb was empty and that his body was no longer there. It reminds me of a conversation that Billy Graham had. Someone asked him once, said, 
you know, Billy Graham, how do you know that God exists if you can't see God? And I love his response. He said, I can't see the wind either, but I see the effects of it. I see the effects of the wind all around me. We saw the effects of the wind this week as those storms rolled through. But the bigger question for us is, have we seen the effects of God in the world around us this week? Have we seen God's actions in the world around us and how it moves amongst us even if we can't see God? Maybe we see the effects of God through EMTs and nurses and doctors and chaplains rushing to danger, using their skills to provide care and support to the ill and the infirm. Or maybe we see it through the spreading of cheer by drive-by birthday parties or the honking of horns outside the homes of our seniors, letting them know that they matter and that we celebrate and rejoice with them. Or maybe we see the effects of God in the peace that comes in our heart, the calm of spirit, the assurance in our soul that even in all the uncertainty in the world around us, that God is very present and that we feel it in that peace and that assurance. Blessed are we that believe even when we haven't seen. But faith is also evident in the life and ministry of the church. In 1959, when Castro came to power in Cuba, he outlawed the Christian church, and immediately the church began to go underground. The Methodist church was a strong presence on the island of Cuba. It was a part of the Florida Annual Conference, a part of the United Methodist Church, and with, with, the, with the closing of the borders and the, season, and the embargo, all of a sudden it became very obvious that the United Methodist Church could not continue its relationship in Cuba. And so the Methodist Church in Cuba spun out as an entity of its own, and many of its pastors boarded airplanes to the United States thinking that this will be a short-lived time. Pedro Mayor, a Methodist minister there in Cuba, he walked some of his closest friends to the airport. They said, Pedro, get on the plane with us. We'll fly to the U.S. This will be short-lived, and then we can come back and we can be the church again. Pedro, who was educated over here at High Point University, then High Point College, he says, no, I'll stay. I'll see you all soon. Someone has to take care of the church. He wasn't the only one that stayed. There was a handful of them, about 12, but they stayed. As the communists got bolder and stronger, the church went underground. It stayed hidden for almost 35 years. And then the 1990s, as the collapse of the Soviet Union began to affect the whole communist system, Cuba found itself on its own. So much to worry about that they sort of turned a blind eye to the church. And the church began to come out of hiding. Where they had been worshiping in homes, where their buildings had been seized and turned into shops, the churches began to take them back over, began to open them back up, and they brought hope to a people. 
They began to teach people about God's love for them even though they had forgotten. They began to share the joy of salvation in the resurrected Christ. Much in the same way that church in Asia Minor did the same thing that Peter was writing to. The church in Cuba emerged out of hiding, emerged out of exile, who kept swimming against the tide because the gospel message was so true. Now our world needs the gospel message of hope more than ever, does it not? I mean, what we're finding with worship is that worship brings hope. It is fueled by our faith. We look at our numbers over the last month and a half, our worship numbers are through the roof because what we have come to realize in all of our hearts is that we need the hope. We need the faith of the resurrected one. We need to know that we are not alone and that as we look to the future, what I hope is that we all realize that what we celebrate in fellowship is so important that we never forget this, but that we worship together regularly so as to inspire the world. But we also find in this that we need connection. Years ago in some of my leadership training, we discussed this model called death by meeting where organizations had meetings upon meetings upon meetings with no purpose and it bogged the organization down. And so we've seen organizations trim the number of meetings that they have. The church has done the same thing. But because we are distant and because we still have work to do, we meet by Zoom, by video call. And what we're finding is that when meetings normally might take 30 minutes, maybe 45, they're stretching to an hour, to an hour and 15, simply because on these video meetings, people want to connect. We spend 15 or 20 minutes checking in, going square by square on Zoom. How are you doing? How are you feeling? How is your family? How is life? going person by person, all sharing, because we need that vital connection. We need to check in. We worry about each other. Whether through phone calls or Zoom meetings, we care for each other, those that are grieving, those that are sick, those that are worried and anxious. You see, it's the church again we have a witness to the world. We have to help the world understand the unseen to see what it looks like when the church is in action, when the church is living out its faith in the seen and the unseen in the uncertain. Because it's when our faith is in action that we provide hope, that we show the love of Christ and the joy that comes with salvation through the resurrection. So here we find ourselves much like the disciples. The Sunday after Easter, locked in our homes, locked away from the world, gathered together to worship. And as we gather together to worship, despite the fear, despite the anxiety, despite the uncertainty in the world around us, our faith is what pulls us together. It's what helps us believe in God who we know in our hearts and who we cannot see, but we see in all the world around us. It is our perseverance by faith that inspires the world that we will get through this, that we will come out on the other side of this as a better people, all because we are not alone, but because God is walking with us. 
And even though we have not seen the risen Christ, we know in our hearts that Christ is walking side by side with us every step of the way. So let us rejoice in the things we have seen and the things we have not seen. Let us rejoice that our faith is evident by the way we live our lives and provides hope to the world around us. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.